You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to a new day of Lockdown Rockets and a new episode of As the Mellow Turns. On that terrible pun, thanks for joining me here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for podcast discussion of all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent for Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship. As we chat this Wednesday, we're still waiting for finality on the Carmelo Anthony front. In the absence of actual news, not that there hasn't been anything worthy of reporting, just nothing that's at the finish line. We did have a show yesterday on things that have actually transpired, that being the Rockets' performance in Summer League over the last week or so, the 4-1 and stint that the Rockets had in Las Vegas beginning July 6th. So if you want more concrete information, if that's your thing, I strongly encourage you to check out yesterday's show because we have a lot of analysis of guys that are confirmed to be Rockets. That was yesterday. For today's show, I'm going to discuss everyone's favorite subject, which is Carmelo Anthony and the latest rumors and how he may fit with the Rockets in this upcoming season. I'll be joined momentarily by Kelly Scaletta of Bleacher Report, who wrote a great article over the weekend. I retweeted it on my Twitter timeline, at Ben Dubose. That, of course, is my name, in which Kelly made the case for why Carmelo could be a better fit with the Rockets than he was last season when he averaged 16 points a game, I believe a career low, with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, quickly, as far as where things are at today, we're still waiting for the smoking gun that the Thunder have either traded him or released him, likely via a wave and stretch. That the last we heard from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN on July 10th, he said the next 7 to 10 days, that would be Tuesday through Friday of this week. So the odds are good. It's coming relatively quickly. And with teams around the league, like Brooklyn and Atlanta making trades, also Chicago making a signing of Jabari Parker to use up their cap space, there's really only one team in the league left with significant cap space left, that being the Sacramento Kings. So it's not like the Thunder have that many options to cull through at this point. I would expect movement relatively quickly. But until they release him, this deal can't be done because as of now, he is property of the Oklahoma City Thunder. That said, the Thunder did give permission to the Rockets and Heat, among other teams, to meet with Melo, and reports since that meeting have all largely trended towards the Rockets. Sham Sharania of Yahoo reporting on Friday that the Rockets had emerged as the serious frontrunner for Carmelo Anthony's services. More directly than that, CyberX of Clutch fans reported Monday that citing a conversation he had with one of Melo's people that the Rockets were Carmelo's choice. I haven't reported anything because I don't have the smoking gun. The big question is when is Carmelo actually going to be free, be it a release or a trade-in release. But having spoken with people who are familiar with the Rockets' thinking, I can confidently say the Rockets are proceeding with their plans for 2018 as though Carmelo Anthony is a part of the team and will be a part of the roster. It's just a formality of when the Thunder decide to cut the cord. Ultimately, at this point, it's a matter of when rather than if. And I know some are going to point to last summer when, in July, it seemed like Carmelo Anthony was going to the Rockets. He wanted to go to the Rockets, just as he does now. And ultimately, it didn't happen and try to draw parallels. The difference is that last summer, the status quo for the team with Carmelo's rights, the New York Knicks, 
was keeping him. And when you consider that the Rockets were not willing to break up their team for Carmelo Anthony, the only asset of substance to make the salaries work would have been Ryan Anderson, with Anderson's contract lasting a year longer than Carmelo's, even with the unpleasantness, even if they were to go back on their word, all the things that came with bringing Carmelo Anthony back, the Knicks were willing to do that, and you could understand why, because the Ryan Anderson contract was worse for their situation. In this case, with the Thunder, besides already having told Melo that they would be parting ways with him, the fact is, because of their luxury tax situation, keeping a malcontent in Carmelo Anthony would cost them over $100 million when you factor in the taxes. That's just not going to happen for a small market franchise that, with Melo, would have a luxury tax bill of approximately $300 million. That's just silly. So I understand that the Thunder would rather not help the Rockets. They would rather, in an ideal world, he goes somewhere else, I'm sure. But they are not okay with the status quo under any circumstance. Last summer, the Knicks, you could make a case for where, for why, and ultimately, after the regime change from Phil Jackson to Scott Perry, and ultimately Steve Mills working in tandem with Scott Perry, you could see why the Knicks would believe that a year-shorter contract was a big deal to them. In this case, for the Thunder, you're not talking about taking Ryan Anderson or anyone else. It's just a matter of, are you willing to invest $100 million in Carmelo Anthony, a guy who did not really fit that well with you last year, clearly does not want to be there, and someone who you've already told that you'll be parting with. Ultimately, even though they don't want to help the Rockets if they can avoid that, it's not going to derail the deal. It's a matter of when rather than if this time. So, as we head down the path from could happen to will happen, there were reports early last week that Miami was very much in consideration, but all the recent momentum, starting with Shamsharania and then CyberX, as I cited a moment ago, has been towards the Rockets. I think we can start to break down the Rockets' 2018-2019 roster as though Carmelo was going to be a part of it. And one of the questions that I always get asked, well, first off, what do you think? And generally, I've said this before, I'm not going to go too deep in this episode on my thoughts because I've had plenty of those in the last couple of weeks, really ever since July 6th when the report broke, also from Adrian Wojnarowski, that the Thunder and Carmelo would be parting ways. In general, I'm in favor. You're adding a 10-time All-Star for a one-year contract at the mid-level exception or less, very little investment cost, you're not trading away anyone, in a league where you're competing with the Warriors who may have five All-Stars pending the return of Boogie Cousins, you have to take some risk. I understand the concerns over fit, defense, the fact that 34-year-old Carmelo Anthony isn't as athletic as he was a few years ago. I get all of those things, but ultimately, if you can do this at the low opportunity cost and considering what you're competing with in Golden State, it's a risk that you have to take. That said, I'm not going to lie. I've had some fun, even on this show here at Lockdown Rockets, at Carmelo and the Oklahoma City Thunder's expense over the past few months. I'm not oblivious to that. So I have had some people ask me, Ben, how do you reconcile being pro-Mello now with being critical of what happened over the past year with Carmelo in Oklahoma City? And first off, I would say that everyone in Houston, for obvious reasons, is a little bit sensitive, or was, I should say, this past season, to issues with the Oklahoma City Thunder. For starters, there was some residual bitterness with the whole Russell Westbrook MVP that most people here believed was stolen from James Harden. But beyond that, after the Carmelo Anthony acquisition, the Thunder were largely seen by the national media as either 2A, 2B with the Rockets in the Western Conference, or, according to some, actually ahead of the Rockets and behind 
only the Warriors. As it turned out, of course, the Rockets were 17 games better. The Thunder lost in the first round again. Yet again, it was an example of Oklahoma City being overhyped by the national media, and I think everyone in Houston enjoyed having fun from time to time at Oklahoma City's expense, and yes, that included Carmelo Anthony. That said, it is important to remember that there are some differences in terms of Carmelo on the Rockets in 2018-2019 than Carmelo on the Thunder in 2017-2018. For starters, it's sheer economics. When Oklahoma City did that deal for him, they were giving up rotation pieces to bring him in. The Rockets are not going to be giving up anyone. You're going to be simply adding him on a mid-level exception or smaller contract. But more importantly, the issue with the Thunder was not just that they traded pieces for him. It was that they got him on effectively a two-year, $55 million contract. And with that type of money come serious political concerns to where if the fit isn't good, if you want to cut bait, if you feel like he's not helping you or worst case hurting you, there's not a whole lot you can do about that because of the investment cost. The Rockets on a one-year, $5 million deal or less, if things aren't working out, they can cut bait at any time and essentially declare an experiment over and move on as if he was never there. So that's a very big difference going into the situation. And the other thing is how it affects Carmelo Anthony, because the concerns over his defense, his willingness to accept a reduced role, there wasn't really any pressure on him this past season in terms of economics, because no matter what happens, he knew that he was still guaranteed $28 million for the next season. He was never going to opt out of that contract. This summer, or next summer, I should say, is very much up in the air in terms of what the market is for Carmelo Anthony. He's very aware of the skepticism that is out there. So it is not going to just be for the Rockets' benefit. It's going to be for Carmelo's benefit to stray on, stay on the straight and narrow and prove that he can make it work. Because if it doesn't work in a great situation like Houston then yeah, that reflects pretty terribly on Melo and his future earning power. So both sides have a lot of incentive to make this work financially in, a, in ways that were not there in Oklahoma City. Another big difference, of course, the players around him and the basketball fit. I first started thinking about this in early May when I had a conversation with Brian Geltseiler, you know, his hoops critic on Twitter, Sirius XM NBA radio personality, NBA TV as well, which I brought him on. After the Thunder were eliminated, I asked him about whether the Rockets had dodged a bullet or if it was an issue of fit in Oklahoma City. And I was a little surprised by his answer. I replayed it last week, actually uh, July 6th, so about a week and a half ago, the day that the news broke that the Thunder and Mellow would be parting ways. And Woj made the case, uh, or not Woj, uh, Woj broke the story. Brian Geltseiler on my show made the case for why the issue had a lot to do with fit. He was not absolving Mellow of responsibility, but with effectively a very young coach without much NBA experience in Billy Donovan and the trade getting consummated on the eve of training camp, basically a shotgun wedding, there was a lot of blame that Brian put, and Brian, someone I really respect nationally in terms of the X's and O's of the league, on Billy Donovan, not on Carmelo Anthony, for not really knowing how to use him tactically. So that's when the wheels, in my mind, started turning, becoming a little more open to the Carmelo possibility here. Obviously, it's something he's wanted for some time, so I think he'll go into it in a better frame of mind. Clearly, Chris Paul, one of his best friends on the planet. Not saying that Carmelo isn't close with Russell Westbrook, but there's certainly not that type of bond like we've seen between Carmelo and Chris Paul. There's also experience between Carmelo and James Harden, having played on prior Olympic teams together. So while there are certainly no guarantees that it's going to work out, 
the risk, the concerns are real. I understand those. At the same time, it is possible to be critical of what Melo did in Oklahoma City and yet see reasons, both related to finances and basketball, that it could be different here in Houston. That said, I'm not oblivious to the fact that I'm usually an optimist. I look for the upside scenarios, and that's generally what I bring you here on the show. One guy that has a different mindset, at least as it pertains to Carmelo Anthony, is Kelly Scaletta. If you follow him on Twitter, again, at Kelly Scaletta, you know that he is far from Melo's biggest fan. And so I like to have guys that challenge my way of thinking from time to time, because of course it's not just about me, it's about providing as balanced a picture as we possibly can. And Kelly was critical of the possibility last summer. He downplayed Oklahoma City. He was one of the few guys that didn't buy into the narrative of Oklahoma City being a challenger to the Rockets after the trade was made. And in general, I think Kelly would be seen by Thunder fans as someone who threw some shade at them, and Carmelo in particular, over the course of this past season. So, with that context, it was very interesting to see Kelly's column on Bleacher Report this past weekend titled, Houston Rockets would be a better fit for Carmelo Anthony than OKC Thunder. You can find the link in my story at LockedOnRockets.com, where you may have found this podcast. And if not, well, you can find any of our podcasts there. Again, LockedOnRockets.com, and you can find the link to Kelly's story that we're going to be talking about. But when Kelly Scaletta, a very known Carmelo critic, sees reason for optimism in terms of the fit around him in Houston, most notably Chris Paul and James Harden, instead of Russell Westbrook, that's another thing, just like Brian Geltziler, that turned my head. So if you stick with me for just a few more moments after the break, we're going to get Kelly on the program right here at Lockdown Rockets and break down this Carmelo fit in Houston a little more and why it appears to be more advantageous than the one was last season in Oklahoma City. Kelly, how's it going, my friend? Good, good. How you doing, man? Doing well. Glad to talk to you first time in a few months. And... I was thrilled to see your column, always enjoy your writing, but as I was explaining leading into this segment, you are far from a Carmelo Anthony fanboy. In fact, I'm pretty sure a lot of Oklahoma City Thunder fans would say you are the complete opposite of that. So when I saw your name connected to a column, praise, I don't know, praise might be too strong, but at least endorsing the idea of Carmelo Anthony being a better fit in Houston, I was intrigued. So... The column is linked on my website at LockedOnRockets.com. We've been talking about it for a while. But just in general, to lead off, give me your reasoning for why you see him as a better fit in Houston relative to this past year in Oklahoma City when he averaged 16 points per game, the lowest of his NBA career, was largely inefficient, and seemed like a player on the downhill slide. Yeah, I think I, I don't think he'll ever be, you know, like the where he was at his best, but I think he can be significantly better than he was in Oklahoma City last year. And I think there's this kind of uh, mythical beast, the Olympic mellow, you know. I don't mm. want to call him a unicorn because that gets overused, right? But, you know, like he, he, Olympic mellow was special, and everybody keeps saying, you know, if only we could get him to tap Olympic mellow, then, you know, he'll save the day. Well, Chris Paul is the point guard that tapped into Olympic Mellow. So I think that's one thing. It, 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 maybe it's because uh, Mellow has so much respect for, for, for Chris. Maybe it's because uh, they're such close friends. But for whatever reason, uh, it's possible that one of the reasons that Mellow was willing to play off the ball and willing to do the things that made him a 
Olympic medal is that he respected Chris Paul with the ball um, in his decision-making and his ability to kind of move around the chess pieces the way he does to create open shots for his teammates. So I think that's one reason is Chris Paul is the point guard. And that's the one thing that nobody else has ever had other than the Olympic team was Chris Paul as the point guard with Mellon. The other thing is that Chris, uh, uh, Carmelo Anthony's most efficient season, I think it was 2012-13, was also when the Knicks set a then-NBA record for three-pointers in a season. When, when Mello has space, he's a much, much better player. He's getting a lot more one-on-one opportunities. He's not doing as much of that dribble the, you know, dribble the ball into the ground or, uh, hold on to it forever, all that kind of stuff. When, when there's, uh, that kind of offense working. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, D'Antoni was the architect of that offense too. So there is a chance that Mello could be tapped into that Olympic Mello play, type player. And like I said in the article, you know, we're talking like a, a Lloyd Christmas chance here. You know, we're not talking like, I'm not, I'm not predicting this will happen. I'm just saying there is a, there, there, there's a chance it could happen, that he could be much improved over last year. Explain to me the differences between Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, because I think on a superficial level, you're going to have a lot of NBA fans that say, look, Chris Paul's a great point guard, but so is Russell Westbrook. And while that's true, the fact is they go about it different ways. And one of the things I liked about your article, you went into the differences in which Chris Paul operates, the pocket passes relative to Russell Westbrook, who's more about attacking off the dribble. And so explain to our listeners, if you could, why Chris Paul in particular might be a better fit for Mello than uh, Westbrook was in Oklahoma City. Yeah, because, well, well, Westbrook, you know, basically what he does is he just attacks at the mm. time. And he, you know, and that has a tendency to, to collapse the defense. And, you know, it's not that's a bad thing, but that doesn't work when you've got somebody like Mello who's kind of aging and stuff. And going to go into that packed lane and just settle for turnaround mid-range shots that are inefficient. Chris Paul is, he, I, I like to say he yo-yos his dribble. Just his dribble, you know, we talk about handles a lot. We talk about like Steph Curry or Kyrie Irving and doing fancy stuff with your dribble. But I think Chris Paul has to be right up there with the best handles just in the purity of the way that he handles the ball. He's, he, it, it's just, it's, he, he, he hardly ever stops his dribble early. He weaves in and out of traffic. He probes and comes back. And, and, and he all the while, he's waving around offensive players, and then that moves around defensive players. And he's while he's doing all that, he's just like a, you know, he arranges the chess pieces, and then he gets the person he wants to get a shot to open for that shot. So his is much like, Westbrook is really aggressive and really attacking. Uh, Chris Paul is much more calculated, much more methodical, and that works better with the type of player that Carmelo is right now. I'm curious your thoughts on James Harden and Carmelo Anthony and the synergies there. You talked about that a little in your column as well. My sense, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense from reading your column was that you're more optimistic on the offensive end of the floor, less so defensively. And what I mean by that is Harden has more in common with Paul than he does Westbrook in terms of his approach, some of the dynamics that you were laying out. But the flip side is that because Harden's success defensively 
came largely when he was switched on to power forwards last year and that switching scheme that Jeff Bezdelic operates in Houston, that if you have Harden and Carmelo, two guys who are not really perimeter defenders at the same time, it makes it difficult to play those lineups together. So it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, you're bullish on Carmelo and Harden offensively, but not so much defensively. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely, that's right on. Um, I, I think that uh, you could do some insane lineups offensively that where where you, you're you just outscoring the opponent. Uh, you know, like a Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, James Harden, Carmelo Anthony, Ryan Anderson lineup where everybody can hit threes and, uh, and you've got three, four actual, you know, guys who can shoot, create off the bounce. You could do some really insane things, and you could slightly, you know, like you could upgrade the defense a little bit by putting P.J. Tucker in at center instead mm-hmm. of Brian Anderson. But um, you, you can score an insane amount of points but give up an almost equally insane amount of points. I think uh, they're, they're going to really miss Mbappe Mute and Ariza in that regard because those were their two best perimeter defenders last year. But, you know, some people I, I see, you know, well, okay, they traded, they basically traded Anthony for a reason and Mon Lute. But I don't think that's a really fair characterization because Ariza, you know, that was $15 million. If, if they pay him $15 million, then if I'm not mistaken, they hard kept themselves out of being able to keep Capella. So when Phoenix gave Ariza that much money, they didn't really have much of a choice. And so then you're just talking about Mbappe Mute versus uh, Anthony, and we don't know what Mbappe Mute's health is going to be like. So that that's a more understandable exchange. They, but they are going to need to do. Who did they, they got? Um, James Ennis. Yeah, and he could be decent defensively. Uh, MCW is there, and he's kind of up and down. Uh, hopefully they can tame him and you know do more of the up. But boy, that man cannot shoot for a lick. Uh, it'll, it'll make us all long for Corey Brewer. <laughs> Who's still a free agent, by the way. And to clarify, <laughs> yeah, and to clarify on Ariza, it's not that it would have lux- it's not that it would have hard capped them, but the luxury tax bills to keep Ariza at $15 million annually would have just been extreme. I mean, we're in a league where even the Warriors have their stars taking below the max in part so that they can reduce the owner's luxury tax bills. So it wouldn't have hard capped them, but when you factor in the extreme luxury taxes, I think they're more bullish on A, finding a guy like Ennis at the minimum. You also mentioned Michael Carter-Williams. And then B, the buyout market, which who knows, the buyout market in February might even include Trevor Ariza, of all people. So I think it's just a matter of they're more optimistic that they can ultimately fill that need for a lower price because when you factor in $15 million, but then you add in the luxury taxes, you could be double that or more, which is a whole lot of money for a 33-year-old Trevor Ariza. So I think... Yeah, let me let me clarify what I meant by that. If they did $15 million and then somebody else offered Capella a max, they wouldn't have been able to match because it would have put them over the hard cap. I still think... I don't... I think they still could have matched, but at that point, you're talking about just extreme, extreme values. They wouldn't have been able to match if they had done a, uh, a sign-and-trade. That was why the LeBron thing got a little hairy. But I think you still would have theoretically been able to match, but it just wouldn't have been palatable at all. Either way, it's just not very realistic with the salary figure. That's yeah. the, the main point that I think you're getting at. And Carmelo at a much lower price point, and then not really asking him to, to take the same role either. 
I think when I hear you talk about Carmelo to kind of circle back, I'm more intrigued by his usage. You know, you get into, well, does he start or does he come off the bench? I'm not so much focused on exactly where he starts the game because we've seen the Rockets stagger minutes a lot. In the playoffs, we saw the Rockets taking Chris Paul out after just four or five minutes and then bring him in with the, the second unit. So whether he technically starts or doesn't, you know, you can stagger minutes to where the, the usage patterns work out either way. It sounds like, and with the Rockets offense, by the way, it's not like, you know, is Carmelo a three or a four? No, in a Mike D'Antoni system, you basically have point guards, you have wings, and you have rim runners. You don't really have a traditional, especially with how they switch, small forward, power forward, that kind of stuff. But when I hear you talk about Carmelo, what I keep going back to is you want to maximize those minutes with Chris Paul. And if there's a parallel that I come back to, you remember last year, before Ryan Anderson got hurt, before he lost his confidence, all that stuff started happening, Remember how efficient Ryan Anderson was in those late first quarter, yeah. early second quarter minutes with Chris Paul? It sounds like to yeah. me that may be the optimal pattern for Carmelo. And it's not that he can't start. You could start, pull him quickly, and then put him back in the game. But ultimately, it sounds like if you put in Carmelo against second units, perhaps you mitigate the defensive deficiencies at hair because you're putting him against lesser players. But then also you're maximizing him by A, putting him out there with Chris Paul, and B, not putting him out there with James Harden, where, as you said earlier, you put Harden and, and Mello out there at the same time, then you're probably asking for trouble because both of those guys have obvious uh, deficiencies in terms of their lateral quickness that Mello, especially at age 34, is just not going to magically get better at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I really think that's what they're going to do. Antoni is a smart guy, <laughs> and he's, you know, he doesn't need to be told that. I can almost assure you that that that. Anthony will just rotate in and out with Paul for the most part, possibly at the end of games. Uh, depending on on what their need is, he may or may not be closing games, but he should be starting games, and then he'll just rotate with Paul, and, and, and then the end of the game will depend on the situation. Like, if they need points, I would expect Anthony is, uh, is in, you know, and if they need defense, then it'll probably be somebody like Tucker. Kelly, last question for you. We're going to totally shift gears and talk about the news of the day, which is the Kawhi Leonard trade sending him from San Antonio to Toronto. The Toronto side of this seems pretty straightforward. It's interesting, but it's just a wait and see. You want to see, A, is Kawhi actually healthy? And B, does he go into it with an open mind the same way that Paul George did in Oklahoma City last year? If that's the case, maybe they have a great year. The Eastern Conference doesn't have LeBron anymore. They can offer him the most money next summer the same way the Thunder could with George this summer, who knows what happens, but ultimately, from the Toronto side of the fence, while it's interesting, as we chat in the middle of July, it's just a wait and see. I, I think the most eager thing in terms of the Raptors side of this is what happens when there's a press conference. What does Kawhi actually say? And we'll get a peek behind the curtain, if you will. Also, because we're a rocket show, we're not that focused on Toronto because, well, it's an Eastern Conference team. What I'm more intrigued by is the Spurs angle because obviously there's a direct connection to the Rockets, and on paper... They got a little bit better because Kawhi barely played last year. And so you're upgrading Danny Green and a guy who barely played to DeMar DeRozan. And on paper, you combine that with Greg Popovich, the system, and there's reason for optimism there. However, I'm a little, I, I don't know what the right word is. Skeptical might be too harsh, but I'm wondering how good of a fit that is in San Antonio because you have so many now between... Rudy Gay, DeMar DeRozan, so many 
inefficient is probably the word I'm going for. You can even go harsher than that if you want. They're going to have a ton of long twos. And for a team that's been such a great defensive presence for a long time, not only taking Kawhi Leonard out of the picture, but Danny Green as well. Green's offense has slept, but defensively, he still is a guy who's actually given Harden some trouble from time to time. I know Pop is an amazing coach, but to me, while the Spurs certainly aren't going to fall off the face of the earth, and if you're a Rockets fan and you're looking at the Western Conference, of course, you always think about the Spurs. The flip side is, I don't know that I really see the upside there with Jamar DeRozan, without Kawhi and Danny Green, and with an aging supporting cast, guys like Rudy Gay, Pau Gasol, Manu Ginobili, etc. Just curious how you see the DeRozan fit for San Antonio, especially losing not only uh, Kawhi Leonard, but also Danny Green. Well, first, I need to make my standard pun at the press conference. Hopefully, Leonard, Leonard won't be a Kawhi baby. <laughs> wow. All right, I had to get that out. Absolutely. Um, so, okay, <laughs> I know it's awful. I, I also I want him to wear number 50 so he can calm Kawhi 5 0. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. <laughs> so, okay, but uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see what he says. And my understanding is he might not be too happy with the trade. Right. And neither is Trevor, which is actually kind of funny because everybody's mad about it. Okay, but uh, as far as Leonard's fit in Toronto, I think the power rankings right now in the East are Toronto, Boston, and Philadelphia, and everybody else is tied for LOL. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, they're, 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 nobody else even has a chance at the East. So in some ways he could, you know, like you said, adjust to it like Paul George did, uh, because he uh, He'll has win. a chance to go to the finals. Yeah. You know? And I, you know, I'm with you on the whole DeRozan and San Antonio thing. It's like between him and... LaMarcus Aldridge, are there enough mid-range shots to go around? <laughs> There's only one ball, right? We kept hearing about that last year with Chris Paul and James Harden. Yeah, I, 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 I'm reluctant to ever question Pop yeah. and his ability to get the most out of players, but this is a challenge. This is, like, they just, they don't have shooters. And they were already near the bottom of the league in terms of uh, three-point rate last year. If they weren't last, they were second or third to last. I'm going off the memory here. And uh, they're not going to get any better without Danny Green or what little they had of Kawhi. So, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they have some magic plan to use to Rosen better. Yeah, it just feels uh, to me like it's locking yourself into mediocrity for the foreseeable future. Because not only do they have these largely aging role players and their supporting cast, they're all under contract for two or three years. And don't get me wrong, Pop's a great coach. He'll get the most out of them. But it just almost feels like, you know, it's kind of understood in NBA circles that Pop's probably going to step away after the 2020 Olympics. So he's probably got three years left. And it almost feels like a Dirk and Dallas situation in which, you know, they're never... Well, finally, the past couple of years, we've seen Dallas uh, embrace the tank a little bit. But it just feels almost like Dallas three or four years ago in which you kind of lock yourself into consistently being like a 45-win team. And with coaches like Pop and Carlisle, they'll constantly be a pain for people around the NBA. They'll maximize what talent they have. But ultimately, it just feels like, you know, you're just kind of in that upper-class mediocrity in which you'll be fighting in the Western Conference probably for a seven or eight seed, but ultimately without any real upside to, to do more than that. Yeah, and ultimately, yeah, I think that's it. They're just they're, they're they're trying to get through the end of the pop era, and it matches with Lamarcus's contract. And you know, in a couple of years, they can totally hit the reset button. And I think they're just trying to keep 
keep some of the records they have going. I, you know, which I don't know if it should or shouldn't factor in, but, you know, like their playoff run yeah. and Pop's legacy and things like that. Maybe they're just trying to preserve some of that. Yeah, that's all I can come up with. It's one of those situations where I think normally you would expect them to make a deal that's more forward-looking, i.e. future draft picks, prospects, those types of things to kick off a rebuild. But I guess when you have legends like Dirk in Dallas or now Pop in San Antonio, the exit strategy makes it more complicated. I guess you can also point to Kobe Bryant in Los Angeles a few years ago. So it's yeah. it's one of those things where it doesn't make sense on, on paper, but when you consider the legacy of Greg Popovich, I guess that's what makes it a bit of a unique situation. Kelly, thanks so much for the time. Folks, that's Kelly Scaletta. You can follow him on Twitter at his name, and he's also available on Bleacher Report and, well, a host of other NBA sites. Great columnist, great Twitter follow. Kelly, thanks so much for the time, as always. All right. Talk to you later, man. Great stuff, as always, there from Kelly. Again, if you want to follow him on Twitter, you can do so at Kelly Scaletta, simply his name. One final story to get to before we close out this longer-than-usual podcast And that's the story that broke Monday night from Mark Stein at the New York Times that the Philadelphia 76ers, of all people, tried to hire Houston's Daryl Morey for their vacant GM post. Fortunately, Daryl did not accept the job. He described it, uh, Stein did, as being rebuffed, the Sixers were. And that's great news for the Rockets. Morey's been here 10-plus years, and if not the best GM in the NBA, he is very close to it. Actually voted Executive of the Year by his peers at the NBA Awards Ceremony just this past month. So, of course, it's great news for the Rockets that their architect stays in place. Ultimately, it's not shocking when you consider the Rockets led the league in wins this past season with 65 and effectively had the NBA champions, the Golden State Warriors, beaten, if not for the perfect storm of Chris Paul's injury, the 0-for-27 historic outlier of a shooting stretch in Game 7, the ridiculous officiating, all those things coming together at the wrong time. Not for that, the Rockets probably win the NBA title and beat arguably the greatest team ever assembled in the process. So it's understandable why Gerald Morey would choose to stay. That said, you can also see a case for why Philadelphia is being that aggressive. I'm sure some would say, why would you even take a shot at Gerald Morey? Well, look at what the Sixers have. They're a major market. It's the weaker Eastern Conference. They have multiple young stars in Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. We have to wait and see what happens with Markel Fultz, but worst case, he's a very valuable trade piece on a rookie contract. They have close to max cap room, or did, I should say, so you could easily see them having a case for flexibility in the summers ahead. So let's not be naive. It's a very attractive job. Even with the backstory, we know they fired Sam Hinkey, who, of course, was Daryl Morey's lieutenant in Houston. I'm sure that didn't sit well with Daryl. And there's also all the stuff with Brian Colangelo, the burner accounts. All that stuff is real. That said, if you're a GM looking at situations around the NBA... It's hard to draw up one much better than what they have in Philadelphia when you look at especially the next five to ten years of NBA basketball. And as good as the Rockets are right now, you can see a case for pessimism once you get past the five-year mark when you consider the ages of James Harden and especially Chris Paul, the high salaries that are going to go out, the fact the Rockets are going to be capped out, not having any top draft picks for the foreseeable future, etc., etc. Houston's a great team now, but long-term, it's not that it's a terrible situation. It just means there's going to be a lot of work for Gerald Morey and his staff. And for the Sixers, to their credit, they're doing what they should do with that kind of infrastructure in place. Why not shoot for the Stars? We have seen reports linking them to San Antonio's R.C. Buford as well. If you've got that kind of market, a weaker Eastern Conference, that kind of cap situation, and the youth, why not try to get whoever you can? It's a very attractive situation. And 
even though Daryl has a great one here in Houston, I think it definitely speaks well to the Rockets as an organization, all the way up to owner Tillman Fertitta, that Daryl was willing to pass up a situation in Philadelphia, which is a really good one for whoever ultimately takes the job. And so all jokes aside, I know you can throw stuff out there about the hinky angle. I know you can look at Colangelo and the burner accounts, but it's a really good situation for a prospective GM. And that's why I think it speaks very well to the Rockets that Daryl declined it. Because I never bought into them, but we have seen the theories out there about the Rockets and new owner Tillman Fertitta. He does have a track record, and some of the moves early on have appeared to be, at least in part, financially motivated. Now, I've explained for weeks that I think they're overblown. With Luke Bamute, for example, there's concern over the shoulder, and also I think they're saving the mid-level exception, but they didn't offer to Luke for Carmelo Anthony, because as explained, you offer him the MLE, that gives you more wiggle room to keep him next summer, because you're not going to have his bird rights either way, so you need to give him a higher starting salary this summer if you want to be able to not be in the same situation with Carmelo that you've been in with Luke this summer. Then with Trevor Ariza, there's the one-year $15 million deal, although I think a lot of that had to do with timing. The Rockets, on the night of June 30th, not really having an ability to commit that early. Well, not the inability, they could have, but there's a lot of other options out there on the table for them, and one year, $15 million, it's a pretty rich contract for a $33 million Trevor Reason. Now, certainly finances were a part of it. They could have still done that in terms of matching, if that were an option, a Reason contract with Phoenix, and still spend otherwise, not saying Fertitta is willing to spend at all costs, but the idea that, well, they're not going to improve the team and that these decisions were 100% financially motivated, I think that's silly. Now, I think finances play a part in it, just like they do even for the Warriors, who have had guys take below the max in recent years. But I think many of the concerns that people have pointed to with finances are just effectively a lot of folks wanting a resolution to things that are a bit more complex. For example, the ongoing Clint Capella negotiations. Look, if Houston thought they were going to lose Capella, yes, I think they would step up their offer. But if there are no rival suitors and you're looking at your ability to improve your team in the future, why would you not try to get Clint Capella on the most advantageous deal that you can to give yourself the most options possible to continue building your team in the future? It's not a matter of being cheap. It's a matter of being as efficient as possible. And with restricted free agency, we've seen Daryl Morey do it time and time again, going back to the days of Les Alexander, who we know was a great owner. It's not the owner, it's the system. It's been a slow start to the Rockets and free agency, and in my opinion, a lot of fans are trying to pin financial, their anger, I should say, on financial reasons, when in reality, it's just circumstantial. Again, issues with Luke that were beyond just finances, also tied to his shoulder and to Carmelo, issues with Ariza that were at least in part due to timing, and issues with Capella that quite simply are just a product of the restricted free agency system. That said, I'm not oblivious to the concerns that had been raised. And let me tell you, if those were valid, if Daryl Morey thought that Tillman Fertitta was not willing to do what it cost to keep this team together to make it a contender, then yeah, I think he would have given serious consideration to Levy. So the fact that he passed up a really good opportunity in Philadelphia to stay, to me, that throws even more cold water on the idea that Tillman Fertitta isn't willing to pay what it takes to field a contender. That while finances are not completely irrelevant, to the decisions the Rockets have made this summer. A lot of it is just circumstantial, and the folks blaming the Rockets for not spending enough are essentially looking for a punching bag, when in reality, these things could happen to anyone. It's just bad timing in many cases, and certain other concerns when you get to Luke and Carmelo that are not really related to uh, willingness to spend at all. It's more about how you can spend the limited resources that you have based on the NBA salary cap, and of course, 
the same thing, the CBA, I should say, applies to the Clint Capella restricted free agency situation. The Rockets just trying to get the best deal that they can. It's not about not being willing to pay to keep him in Houston. But even if you want to look at it more pessimistically than I do, Fulster O'Rourke just had a golden opportunity to leave, and he did not. So to me, I don't see, I don't see how you could not see it as an endorsement of what they have built in Houston and confidence that even with the ownership change with Tillman Fertitta, that they're willing to do what it takes for the Rockets financially to be a contender and to win a title. Because Daryl Morey, as cutthroat as he is, if he didn't believe in Tillman Fertitta, if he didn't believe he could accomplish his goals here, you better believe he would be looking for a place that would give him a better opportunity to take advantage of his enormous gifts as a GM and as, and as an executive, for my money, the best in the NBA. So with that, we'll wrap up today's show. Already gone a little bit too long, but we had a lot of news to cover after being idle over the weekend. As always, thanks to you guys, our loyal listeners, for tuning in and sh- sharing all of this with me. If you want more content before the next show, best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm on there, at Ben Dubose. The show is on there, at Lockdown Rockets. Also, don't forget our email account, uh, LockdownRockets at gmail.com. Facebook account at facebook.com slash Rockets, website at LockdownRockets.com. Always you can access our content, ask me questions about the team, suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries, anything we do to make this a better podcast for you, the diehard Rockets fan, I would absolutely love to hear from you. Also, don't forget, in addition to subscribing, or in addition to finding our content, you should also subscribe to us. Almost went backwards there. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Megaphone, wherever you listen to your podcast, Odds are you can find us because Lockdown Podcast Network, we've got a ton of great shows across the NBA, NFL, even some MLB. That includes the Houston Texans of the NFL. We've got a great Lockdown Texans show across town hosted by Robert Land and Brian Patterson. But wherever you find those shows, wherever you listen to your podcast and other media, odds are you can find Lockdown Rockets because we're part of that great network. And if you are not subscribed to us already, please do. That's how you can get breaking news alerts when our new episodes are out. And if you'd also be kind enough in addition to subscribe for your own benefits for knowing when the new episodes are out, you can also leave us a five-star review if you could do that. That's how we look attractive to potential advertisers. We can keep the business model working here at Lockdown Rockets, the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. So for today, I will sign off. As always, thanks to you guys, our loyal listeners, for tuning in. And we'll be talking very soon, hopefully about a completed Carmelo deal. We'll see. Knock on wood. Keep your fingers crossed. Whatever happens, though, we'll be talking about it right here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for podcast discussion of all things Houston Rockets basketball.